This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. WGcoaching.com is the website. Wayne Goldsmith is our coaching guru every Wednesday around about this time. How are you doing today, Wayne? Well, Piney, it's been nice knowing you, mate. I've enjoyed our association, but this may be our last call because uh, uh, my best friend's getting married at the end of next week. And I said, what do you want to do to celebrate? And most people, normal people, would say, let's have a party or uh, let's have a couple of relaxing days away. So he's decided to go on what would I call the bushwalk from hell. And uh, I Googled it yesterday and it said uh, people walking in this area should be prepared for encounters with brown snakes, black snakes, death adders and the Sydney funnel web spider. So in case I don't make it back, thanks for the support. I've really enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Well, we certainly hope you do get back from that uh, that. that walk, which uh, which sounds like it's uh, full of peril at every turn, uh, but let's let's talk before you do head off uh, about something which uh, Sam alluded me to. Actually, he uh, he forwarded me an article about um, some American sports teams with um, some of their playoffs coming up, and uh, it talked about peaking for the playoffs, and it, it got us wondering whether peaking is actually a thing at all. Is the concept of peaking something which is which is scientifically, you know? actually uh, available for athletes and coaches to do? We should clarify that Peking is not the old capital of of China. We're saying no. Peking as in P-E-A-K-I-N-G, as in the top of a peak, the top of a mountain, which is what it's supposed to symbolise is it's the best form, the peak form, the optimal form that you can be in. Back in the 1970s, there was a guy called Tudor Bompa, B-O-M-P-A, very, very famous book that he wrote, called The Theory and Methodology of Training. And almost every coach has either read the book, seen the book, had exposure to it, seen it mentioned, seen a slide about this Bompers theory and methodology of training. And then he argued that there's a very logical sequence to developing athletes towards their peak. There's the off-season where they recover and rest and regenerate. There's the pre-season where they start to lay down the foundations of fitness and strength and build a base that we talk about. To, to deal with the rigours of the of the preparation coming. And then there's the in-season work where they're doing their week-to-week training and they're playing and they're trying to get to the, to the semifinals or qualify for the final rounds. And then there's the peak period where they're uh, arguably at the best form and then they go through the sequence again. They recover off-season, pre-season, in-season and so on and so on and so on over years. And peaking is just a way of saying, look, over the season... When you're going to get to the finals, you need to be physically, mentally, technically, tactically, in every way, ready to go to compete to the top of your form. So what does it involve then? Because I guess if you're going to be at the top of your game at a certain date, then everything before that date gets targeted towards that. Is part of it, I don't know, holding off or, or maybe not reaching that peak too early? 
Well, that's one of the, 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 the most difficult, and I think the team sports, to be honest, the week-to-week professional teams have got it the hardest in this area. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday morning, I was over watching a swimming session, and they've got one major competition this year in swimming, which is the World Championships, and next year it's the Olympic Games. So in principle, they have one peak. So they've got what we call some mini peaks or micro peaks, which is getting to a reasonable standard. So you make the team, you qualify for the team, and you you work towards that. But basically, they spend the whole year doing everything they can for one race, one meet, one two or three day period. If you're in Super Rugby, if you're in NRL, AFL, if you're in professional netball, if you're in a professional team, you're theoretically at your peak every week because mm. there are no easy games. That And that presents a real challenge. And coaches over the years have had some very, very novel ways of dealing with it. One of the things that I've seen in the NRL, particularly over the years, is that they'll try and do what we call a double peak in that they'll get to a, a standard at the beginning of the season which will physically allow them to compete. And then six, seven weeks before the finals, if they're tracking well, they'll actually go back and do another block of hard work, almost off-season style work, in the middle of the season, risk losing a few games to rebuild that physical side in preparation to then jump up again to another level for the finals. And certainly the Broncos did that for a long, long time and the Storm... A lot of teams went and tried that double picking, but it's a huge risk, Piney, because yeah. in doing that, you, the fatigue means you may not even qualify for the final. So there's a bit of risk and a little bit of witch doctory involved as well. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's that's right. If you uh, if you you run the risk of uh, of uh, of aiming to peak for something that you actually don't end up participating in, like a final series, I guess. And as you say, it's a huge risk. What about peaking mentally, uh, Wayne, or is this more about um, about being able to switch off outside of competition times and then and then be at your mental peak when it is really required. Yeah, that to me is the critical thing, Piney, is that the, the, one of the, the big myths is that you turn up on grand final day or you turn up at a final Super Rugby, whatever the event might be, and it's all ponies and rainbows and fairies and bunnies and everybody's feeling great and bouncing along and there's no injuries or illness and it's going to be the greatest day of your life. That doesn't happen. And one, I was lucky enough to be tied up with Brian Smith and the Roosters at a grand final NRL a while back. And and he was pretty clear to say, this is basically a survival game. By the time you get there, everybody in the team is tired. They've been up for 10 months. They're fatigued. There's little injuries. Things are being managed. They're physically, you can't say too many people at that moment are the best they've ever been. They're all carrying something. But very importantly, as you said, if you've done your job as a coach and you've done your job as an athlete, emotionally, uh, intellectually, even around your understanding of the game, tactically, you should be at the best that you've been all year emotionally. And that's that's quite often why those big games, and we hear it all the time, are one emotionally, a one in the head, and a one mentally. That's, that's you know, I, I think it's underrated, Piney that everyone thinks about, oh, I've got to be at my physical peak. I think it's more important to be at your mental and emotional peak for those critical moments. Wayne, how far out from an event can you start planning to to be at your physical and mental best for that event? For example, if you look at an Olympic Games cycle, which is four years, is it possible to plot a four-year path to an Olympic Games, for example? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll even suggest now, Piney, that if you're dealing 
with a serious Olympic medal chance. You're dealing with someone that you think they've got the talent and the drive and the motivation and the passion to get to that level. I actually say it's, got, it's a six-year cycle. You've really got to have a six-year cycle, partly because those two years leading into the, the Olympics that are in between the one that you want to go to, there's opportunities to learn lessons by racing athletes who are going to that. You know, so if you were trying to get to 2024, you, there's a lot of opportunities to learn what it's like and to learn and understand what it's going to be like for you six years from now by racing athletes who are going next year or they're going in two years if you follow me there. So we're going to talk about it as a six year. And, and look, it, it is such a complicated process that it four years is, is a minimum. I don't even talk in Olympic cycles for serious competitors. It's at six years, eight years, or even longer because of that. That that you might have a, a sport like rowing, for example, which is such a physically based sport. You might be able to get an athlete physically ready to be a contender for an Olympic medal in four years, but they won't be technically ready. They won't be strategically ready. They may not be mentally and emotionally ready. And I think quite often we see athletes fail because they place so much focus on the physical side of preparation. As long as I'm strong enough and I'm fast enough, it'll be enough. And then they get to the Olympics and the emotional weight and the stress and the the travel and the media and all the things they've got to deal deal with means that they fail. So I'm like, it's at least six years so that you've got all those factors coming together on the right time of the right day. And so how much of a, mar- a margin for error is there, Wayne? Because if it's all plotted out in a, you know, across a six-year period, if you got it wrong, you know, even, even uh, to a small degree early on, could you possibly peak too early, peak too late, or not peak at all? You can. It's, it's a, that part is, is you know, I'd say there's a little bit of witch doctory. There's a little bit of planning. There's a few different processes involved in planning. One is we call it predicting. So, you, you, you know, if, again, if swimming is a good example, if you look and say, well, the current world record's 50 seconds for that event, we generally allow 2 to 3% per Olympiad improvement. So if you're aiming, if it's now four years away from an Olympics, and you say, well, all I've got to do is go 50 seconds and I'll probably win the gold medal, no, that time's going to shift on average 2 3% between now and the next Olympics. So you've got to set your goals at a faster time then maybe the current world record because you're thinking about where will the sport be. That's where you've got to be a very clever coach and a very switched on tactician to say, well, that means if I'm preparing an athlete to go faster than they're going now, my training methods and my techniques and things that I'm doing have got to be better and different and superior because I'm aiming for something that no one's ever done. And I, I think this is, you know, a lot of my seminars I talk about the danger of copying as a coach. If you look at what's happened in the past and what's, what's the standard is now, you're setting your future goals based on things that have already happened. You're going to go backwards. If you are a serious contender to win something in the future, you've got to be focused on why and what's it likely to be. Every so often it does go wrong point. Every so often a Michael Phelps comes out and that standard improvement, 2 3 4% per Olympiad might be 9% and you get caught can't do anything about that. You can only control what you can control. But smart coaches and, and clever athletes all look at it and say, no, a common sense says to me, I can't aim for what is. I have to aim for what will be. And that's why the great coaches are real innovators and creative brains because they're, they're doing things that no one else has done 
to achieve things that no one else has done. You can't just leave it to chance, though, can you? You can't just, for example, if we take it back to a uh, to a year long or or a let's say a rugby league or a rugby season, you can't just focus on the game this weekend and expect that everything will come into place if you should make the finals. Or, or could you do that? Well, no, and and there's a there's a the AFL I think is the smartest at doing this. In my experience, the AFL have got uh, in their coaching team they've got their current coaching team which work on what's happening this week. So it might be Collingwood's playing Carlton. So this week's game is all about how do we beat Carlton? How do we break down the defence? Where are their weaknesses? But in every team, they've got one or two coaches whose job it is to go to the game that's ahead. So if they're going to play Carlton this week, they send two coaches and they call them opposition coaches. So they're on staff of Collingwood. They're on the staff of my team. But instead of going to watch our team this week, they go and watch Hawthorne, who we're playing the following week. And they watch them and they video and they do data and analysis. And then on the Monday after the Carlton game, my own two coaches, my opposition coaches who are paid to be forensic and analytical about our future opposition, come in and say, guys, I've seen them. This is what they're doing. And not only that, Piney, very interesting what they do is they say, if we were going to beat you, if we were going to pick a team to beat our own team, this is how we would go about it. So the, the, the AFL have been smart enough and other teams do that sort of forensic looking ahead to see what's going on and do that, that investigative work. The AFL have been doing it for a long time and they're, you know, they're paying coaches a lot of money to not go to watch their own games but to think and prepare like opposition teams so that the rigour they prepare their own team is a lot stronger. So there's part of that. And then also longer term in switching to... Olympic sports, you've got to be switched on. And, and you know, again, talking to Michael Bowles, he's a very well-known coach here, coach Stephanie Rice, and I think our best swimming coach that we've got. Just talking to him about how closely he monitors things like British Swimming Championships and United States Championships and Japan and China. So he's constantly reviewing what's happening around the world so they don't get caught. Because all of a sudden, you know, you might be tracking towards a 3% improvement for your athlete for next year. Somebody, Scottish Nationals, comes from nowhere and goes 9%, 10% quicker than anyone's ever thought, assuming it's legal, of course. They've, and you've got to reset the bar. You've got to change your training sets, change your gym program. You've got to go back and revisit what's happening if someone comes along and breaks the curve. So, but it's really exciting, Paul. It's a... It's part of the, the real excitement of high-performance sport is trying to figure out how do we stay one step ahead of the rest of the world. Interesting, as always. Thought-provoking, as always, Wayne. Thanks indeed. Good luck dodging those snakes and those spiders. If you're able to do so, we, uh, we look forward, hopefully, to chatting again next Wednesday. Look, it's been a pleasure knowing you, Piney. Have a wonderful <laughs> life, and I've really appreciated the support. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.